Hello and welcome to this fan critical and Castle Rock critical special podcast covering Netflix's Haunting of Hill House. We have been waiting to fit this one into our schedule, trying to fit it in somewhere wherever we could, and we finally found this is the gap, this is the time. And today I am joined by my little buddy in Australia, Gareth. Hi mate, good to be back. Yeah, good. You've been uh, missing out of the last couple of reviews. And as this is a bonus podcast, me and you have been itching to get this one recorded. Unfortunately, the rest of the team haven't finished the season yet, which is annoying. So it's just us two, but we're the best two. So don't worry about it. I think the the original, the original and the best. The OG, as they say. The, the others are too scared. So what does that tell you about? That That is actually true. I, there are genuine WhatsApp thread conversations where they can't physically watch the show to get on their own they have to watch it together or something it's it's absolutely ludicrous but as is tradition here at fan critical we blueberry everything and this is the way that the blueberry scale works you are giving a score to whatever you've watched out of zero to five five being the highest zero being the lowest nothing has ever got a zero and you cannot half a blueberry so now there's three and a half nonsense or four and a half nonsense you have to fall down on an exact number it's a harsh but a very fair scale so gareth with that in mind this Mm. is what someone close to our hearts who we cover a lot of stuff about said about the haunting of hill house this is what stephen king himself had to say the haunting of hill house revised and remodeled by mike flanagan i don't usually care for this kind of revisionism but this is great. Close to a work of genius, really. I think Shirley Jackson would approve, but who knows for sure. So that's what Stephen King had to say, Gareth. What are you going to say about The Haunting of Hill House? I want a general synopsis of your thoughts. We're going to go into more detail a bit later, but what is your blueberry score and your general thoughts on The Haunting of Hill House? I mean, just to point out as well, Stephen King sent us that in a voice message on WhatsApp. Yeah, 100%. So. Yeah, obviously, we've got very close with Kingy Boy. So he's been yeah. uh, liaising with us throughout the whole of Castle Rock. That's how we got all of the in depth knowledge, not just Emma, uh, for King Corner. So, fact. Emma doesn't read anything. Well, as judged ever. from her book notes the other week with the Misery podcast, I think she has a bit of, you know, she has to buck her up ideas a little bit, if I'm honest with you. We'll replace her with Stephen King. No good, one is good replaceable. Good replacement. Like um, uh, Kingy Boy says, Shirley Jackson. Well, he thinks she would be proud. Um, yeah, mm, don't know if, she, if he should be speaking on her behalf, but I do agree with him. Um, it's 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 brilliant. Um, I think we 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 got really excited about it early days. You and I, um, maybe when I'd watched sort of three or four episodes. And I think you'd watch similar a similar number. We were talking about um, it being perfect at that point, and I think it was. I think it was a perfect show. I know we'll get into more detail, but I think it was absolutely perfect in terms of the the atmosphere and the intrigue and uh, the character development until about episode seven. Um, then I think it ran into a few problems, which. We will discuss later. Um, so, because of the the final few episodes and a couple of consistent issues like acting, which I had a bit, of, I had a few concerns about. I can't give it the full blueberry package, but um, 
it is great. Um, it is scary. It's emotional. It's beautiful um, in a lot of ways. So it is getting four blueberries. From four, me. four. I was I was hoping for more from you there, Gareth. And this is my take on it. And this is why I'll tell you why four. I was expecting more. This show really surprised me. I heard people talking about it and they were saying you know it's it's ridiculously scary and as i know me and you watch quite a lot of horror stuff i'm up for a good scary film it it isn't as scary as people think it is you know it relies very heavily on jump scares very slow camera moves and i love that and i'll tell you why i love it later even more uh, because there's a lot of hidden easter eggs in this form of storytelling but what struck me most about this show in particular, is the amount of heart uh, that it has. Um, It occurred to me after like four or five episodes that this was actually an entirely different show than I thought it was for the first couple of episodes. And by the end, I was a blubbering mess. I was on my sofa. I was in buckets full of tears. And anyone that listens to this podcast knows I'm not afraid to show my emotions. I know John hates it, you know, because he's a grumpy man, heart of stone. But I was very affected by this show. And and those are the shows that stick with me. And I have to say, for all of those reasons, plus, you're right, it's beautiful to look at. I think, you know, the, the style of it is phenomenal. The acting, I think, is meant to be a bit out there sometimes. I think that's kind of the trope of the genre and what they're kind of going for. And I had no problems with it. I would say this is almost, almost a flawless piece of television and i'm going to give it five whole bloobs which is a massive score for me i'm known as a hype man but this is genuinely another flawless piece of television i've seen it's it's up there with some of the best stuff that i've seen in the last year to be honest with you obviously your opinion you're totally entitled to it but flawless is a big call it is because almost i said almost flawless there are there are things that did irk me that did uh, I didn't agree with necessarily, but on the whole, I think if you take the whole package over the you know the the short amount of episodes and you know con- contained in this first season, and it might be a first season, there might be a second, it is brilliant. It is brilliant. It is. I'm not going to disagree with that. Um, I guess. I guess. Do, do you know what? Actually, you picked up on it. The change in tone and the change in what the show actually is. I didn't hate it. But that was probably an element of it that I didn't love. Yeah, maybe you didn't like the gear change from fourth to fifth. You were expecting to maybe go, you know, all the way to sixth or or maybe stick more on a horror route where this clearly essentially is a character study um, about a family at at the end of the day. And maybe you just wanted it to zig and it zagged. I think that's that's pretty much spot on. It, um, yeah... It went the direction of the bent next lady's neck, and yeah. I wanted it to yeah. go. Yeah, good. I like the that. way of the yeah. Very I can't good. think of anything else that's bent in this show. Well, oh. um, let's leave it at that. So, before we go into more detail, and we were just about to do that, a quick advert. Mm. Yes, as is tradition, we like to put the adverts early and this is another advert, but we're not advertising like Amazon 
we do use Amazon, but we're not advertising that. We're advertising ourselves. So if you would like to subscribe to this channel, all you have to do is search for Fan Critical or Castle Rock Critical, our other channel, on any podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, you name it, we're on there, even Google Podcasts. We have been covering The Walking Dead Season 9. Uh, the show has taken a marked improvement from last season, so do check it out. We're also covering the film Overlord. We cover all event movies that are coming out. Avengers, DC, Star Wars, you name it. If it's an event movie, we cover it. So please do subscribe to these channels and the content will be downloaded straight to your phone. You don't even have to worry about it. Listen to it when you want. Back to the podcast. So, The Haunting of Hill House, directed by Mike Flanagan. And it's fair to say, Gareth, that this mm. guy is making a name for himself in the horror genre. Making waves. Making waves, isn't he? He is um, making some serious waves. So, here's what he's worked on over the last couple of years, right? Oculus, which is a horror film. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. It's pretty decent. Ouija, The Origin of Evil, another horror film that's also on Netflix. Gerald's Game, which was a huge hit on Netflix about six, eight months ago. And if you haven't seen that, obviously this is on the Stephen King channel that we have as well. Go check that out. It is a great adaptation and very unsettling. One of the most disgusting scenes I've ever seen anywhere, ever. So go check that out. Very disturbing. Literally could not watch that scene. Ugh. Like I had to look away. It, just, oh. Ugh, oh, it makes me shudder even thinking about it. And I like my gory stuff. Mm. And mm. this is also good for us uh, because he is directing the sequel to The Shining, Doctor Sleep, scheduled for a 2020 release. So, obviously, we cover a lot of Stephen King material. That's an amazing thing for us as well, and I'm sure we'll be covering that. So this guy, he's put the cat amongst the pigeons in the horror domain, right? He's... um. I mean, to be fair, I haven't seen a lot of those um, movies. Have you seen, um, did you mention Hush that he did as well? Oh, Hush. I haven't seen Hush, but I know he has done Hush as well. It wasn't on my list, but... Yeah. So, um, people are getting very excited about him um, and, and what he's up to. And I think, you know, based on based on this show as well he's uh he's on a massive trajectory isn't he and oh being, yeah being able to take on uh the shining that's a huge the shining uh, universe yeah the doctor sleep sequel which is very bizarre by the way and we will have more disclosure on that if emma was here because she's just finished the book um oh i read the book a while ago but I, let's just say it takes a little bit of a direction that is a bit different so i'm very interested to see what he does with that um well i'm sure Emma sent some notes, I imagine. Not for this. Um, no notes for this. <laughs> Hold on. No, she sent she sent her Doctor Sleep uh, notes to me. Oh god. Um, quite quite a bit scary. Oh yeah. It's got yeah. Good use of full stops. Um, <laughs> and most of them are correctly followed by capital letters. And anyone listening who doesn't know what we're talking about, Emma is our resident uh, book geek. We all read the books, but she reads them at a far faster trajectory and she gets through them much quicker than we do. And we rely on her for her encyclopedic knowledge of Stephen King whilst drawing on myself and Lucy's to an extent as well. And 
a couple of weeks ago, she did send through notes on misery, something that I haven't actually read, but we, we covered it in our Stephen King retrospective. Go check that out on the Castle Rock Critical channel. Or if you're on this channel now, just go check it out. It's a couple of podcasts ago. And her notes were ludicrous. She didn't turn up to that podcast. She literally sent what Gareth just said, right? But usually, uh, if you listen to like the Dead Zone podcast we just did, fantastic notes, unbelievable notes. She dropped the ball. She, she dropped, dropped the ball. ball. We but all hey, have our look. we all have our mistakes. Onwards we do. and upwards. So let's get on to the haunting of Hill House and the main crux of the show. So I'm gonna confess, I haven't read the original book by Shirley Jackson. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say you haven't watched it. No, oh, I'm gonna confess I haven't actually this? watched the show. Just made loads of notes on it. No, haven't actually read the book. Um but apparently, and you know, this is very wide knowledge that Shirley Jackson is up there in terms of reputation with the likes of Stephen King in the horror genre. So it's interesting that we mentioned him earlier commenting on it. So that's very important, I think. Mr. Flanagan, apparently, you know, he's taken his own creative license with the text, however, Gaz. Yeah, well, this is what, again, I haven't read it either. Um, you know, neither of us are Emma, clearly. But no. what I have, um, what I have read is that it's very loosely based on uh, on the book. There's a house. There's a house and it has a family. And they may be called the Cranes. Um, so, you know, it, it's taken inspiration from it. It's not it's not based on the, the book and the story of the book. I think that's a good thing. I think that's a good thing that he was able to take some key components, like focusing on the house. And the house is obviously its own character. Um, but also having yeah. some of the key characters in there, like Stephen Crane and all that sort of stuff. I, I don't know the intricacies of, of the of the differences, but I think there are a lot. And I've heard a, a few complaints online that he's taken a bit too much license with the source material. But anyway, that's his prerogative. He's a director and he's made, as I said, an almost flawless piece of television. So we follow the expertly divided lives of the Crane family, the then and the now revisiting key moments from the house in the past and all leading up to that fateful night where they are forced to flee and their lives are changed forever. Essentially, Gaz, it's a story of trauma, maybe mental illness to some extent, and how these things can stay with you for your whole life until you reconcile them, right? Yep, yep. it's, it's also about spooky ghosts. Oh yeah, and spooky ghosts, yeah, of course, and ectoplasm and, you know all that sort of stuff but no i think i think i think the main theme is like his family and um like the importance of it and the traumas that come associated with it i think i think that's the biggest thing really about the show is it is all about the family it really is and we will talk about the family very shortly but i wanted to open up with this line from the book and i believe i think it is in the book and i think it is also obviously in the show which is Hill House, not sane, stood by itself against its hills. Holding darkness within, it had stood for 80 years and might stand for 80 more. Right? So that's narrated by Stephen Crane, played, Gareth, by one of our Game of Thrones guys, Michael Hoosman. Yeah, um, little Dutch fella, isn't he? He's Dario Naharis in Game of Thrones, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. Which is um, blew my mind, obviously. Always. I'm going to say he's better in Game of Thrones. Um, I think there's sort of times that he kind of struggles a little bit with the American accent. Um, and 
because he's Darren Harris has got that exotic, um, yes, that generic exotic foreigner kind of Correct. feel about him. Yes. Um, whereas, yeah, he's supposed to be he's supposed to just be a standard New England kind of guy, and there are times, especially when he's doing one of his kind of monologues. Um, yeah, his monologues passionate. Uh, he, he's quite an interesting character. He's a very, and we'll come on to them all individually now, but he especially is one of the more cheesy characters, especially because he's a writer. Yeah. And some of the writing that he, yeah. you know, narrates is garbage. It's absolute garbage. <laughs> like, it is, isn't it? When, it, when, it is. Yeah. It is when we get to the final, we'll come on to the final episode, but when you get to the finale and it opened with his narration, I was <laughs> terrified that it was going to be awful. I really was. Yeah. Luckily, it took a turn. Thank God. But anyway, let's focus on the characters because I think it'll be mm. good to go through the individual characters in the family because that is essentially what the show does. It highlights individual characters, at least for the first four, five, six, seven episodes to an extent, and shows us individual takes on how they interpreted their time within Hill House and then how it's oh. affecting them to this day with Nell's death. So I really like that form of storytelling where you get sort of a, a really in-depth character study each week. That was my favourite part of Lost. I love it. I think it was revolutionary for that, really shining a light on certain characters and making us understand why certain characters acted the way they did when they saw certain things, where when you watch them from another character's perspective, you didn't really understand it. But because you get this in-depth look inside each individual character around specific events you get a very you know evolving opinion of characters and i loved it i think that's it's it's a really cool really good way of structuring it um i love that element where you get to see um where you get to see the same event from different perspectives and it just sheds a, an entirely new light on it as well that kind of storytelling is great like um returning to the same point and just seeing it from a different perspective but also just the 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 way that it helps to develop the characters is really important when this is a it is a character based show um it's all about the development of the characters that's that's the most important part of it um more than the 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 showing of the ghosts so good way of structuring it and that's why i think that's why I loved the first sort of five episodes yeah. in particular that did that. Let, let's talk about the Crane family. Let's talk about them. You've got Dad Hugh, Mum Olivia, then you've got the children. You've got uh, Stephen, who is the oldest, then Shirley, then Theodora, and then you've got the twins, Luke and Nell. And of course, you also have the Dudleys hanging around in this situation. They are the caretakers of the house. First question, mm. which character was your favourite and why? My favourite was Hugh, like 100%. The dad. Um, he is yeah. hilarious. So I know you're He's questioning brilliant. some of the acting. His acting at times is hilarious. The older version of Hugh, the now version of Hugh, I thought was excellent. I have to say. I think he played a really withdrawn, lost his family, lost everything, you know, kind of role very, very well. The younger, more optimistic version of Hugh was so hilarious, like on the nose, hilarious, really good dad, you know, you know, hey, champ, you want to give me a hand over <laughs> here? Like, help me build this wall. It was just hilarious. I couldn't I couldn't get over it, but I loved it. I did love it. I, I, I loved I loved young Hugh that was my yeah. favorite it was my favorite character 
like if you if you imagine that there's like 12 main characters if we're talking about the oh sorry well 11 you're talking about the young cranes plus uh, versus the old cranes yeah then you know out of all of them my favorite is young hugh i loved his um over the top dadness i have to be honest with you gareth when i was watching the show he is how i imagine you are going to be as a father when that ever that that's happens. exactly what I think as well. Oh, it's lovely. Man, isn't I'm going to call a lovely, all of my kids. It's a lovely moment that we're cow. having, isn't it? You know who I think John's going to be? He's going to be Mr. Dudley. <laughs> <laughs> He's all, he was he was born Mr. Dudley. Like he was like that when he was eight. <laughs> <laughs> he just came out of the womb with a beard and a grump. Yeah, and pissed off. Um, but nah, I mean, look, Hugh Hugh's delightful. He's such such a good dad and. It's heartbreaking because like, you don't really know. You don't really know what's gone on in mm. you know the modern day yes. version of the family. You just know that the rest of the family, all of his kids, are really pissed off with him. Yeah, and it's heartbreaking because you keep going back. Like you keep knowing that they're pissed off with him, and you keep going back, and he keeps being this brilliant, like fun dad who's clearly a lovely guy. And you're like, how does it go from this? To that, I hate that. Yeah, and it, it's a shame they lost so much time because of this event. You know, it's not their fault necessarily. The house, as we know, is is genuinely haunted. Um, but we'll start with Stephen. Obviously, we mentioned him. He's the aspiring writer. He is a very sort of straight down the line character. Doesn't believe in anything supernatural. Has written these books, which is a kind of offence to the house and the family honour um, that he's used them to earn a quick buck. What do you think? Yeah. So you didn't like him necessarily as the older or younger versions. I thought they were both some of the weaker characters in the show, even though he was essentially the main character. Yeah, um, he's sort of a conduit for telling the story. Hundred percent. He doesn't. He doesn't believe in it. Like us to start off with, I guess. You know, we are skeptical. You know, as an audience, yeah. we're skeptical and we're trying to see these things through these characters' eyes. And the first episode obviously centers quite a lot on him. So we're not 100% about what's going on, what's real, what's not real. But by the end of that first episode, where you see Nell in his apartment and she is, you know, a ghost essentially, and he's never seen a ghost, you know, he's, I've never seen a ghost, he says. And then he mm. sees Nell after he's told that she's been dead for like a couple of hours or something. That's a very shocking end to that episode. What comes afterwards, though, is he, he still doesn't believe it no. from that moment. Denial. He, he still he thinks that it's it's a crane genetic malfunction. Mm. They've all got some sort of mental illness, um, which you know is interesting. Most people would kind of would would sort of be in denial of having a mental illness and would pick up any other explanation they possibly could. Because he's quite quite happy to. Uh, to accept it, um, I, I liked. I actually, I did like young young Stephen. Um, you know, he might be a little bit vanilla, I suppose. Vanilla is like a good term. term. He is very vanilla. I don't like using that term because vanilla, did you know, is one of the most complex flavors known oh, to mankind. Oh fucking hell! Here we go. We didn't want a teaching lesson. We just, you know, vanilla. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, you know. Anyway, so he is a touch, but. Um, He's a nice kid. He's a good kid. And he's kind of what I... It's funny you say that you imagine Hugh is what I'll be like as a dad. Stephen is kind of what I think I was like when I was about 12. Mm. Um, a little bit vanilla, but... Very vanilla. Shirley 
is the second mm. youngest and she's quite a fascinating character as well because she doesn't necessarily believe in all of this stuff either she's the second uh, oldest and she now in the now times works in a funeral home uh, reconstructing bodies and making sure they're okay so they can be presented to their loved ones which reminded me a lot of six feet under i was getting a lot of six feet under vibes from this especially in terms of the family vibe as well which is you know a very very famous and very well respected show um what did you think about shirley i didn't love older shirley um she's a very complicated character i i really liked the take and i think the casting by the way for the children oh, is phenomenal oh, man that's something yeah something that has to be said is that like they whether whether or not whether or not everybody in it is a brilliant actor just the people that they got look so perfect Oh, 100%. They, they all look like they could be, um, they, like they belong in that family. They yeah. look like their brother and sister. They yeah. look like they're, um, like they're, they're the sons and daughters of, of those people. Yeah. And the adult versions of them, just perfect. Shirley's like one is spot on, I have to say. Look. That's the one for me where I was literally looking at it going, Jesus, that casting is phenomenal. That is so good. Yeah. And... We've always said that child actors are, are a massive problem in shows. And there, there are some shows that are blessed at the moment with some of the best mm. young talent that there is out there, like Stranger Things and Game of Thrones. Obviously, you've seen characters like Arya and Sansa and Bran and, you know, grow up into these amazing actors and they're getting amazing gigs now. This yeah. is another show where I've watched it and thought the casting is so on point with the children. And we'll yep. come on to their characters in a minute, but Luke and and Nell are genius casting. Yeah, they're they're brilliant. They're absolutely brilliant. They are the um, cutest kids that have possibly ever existed. I, I mean, it's just insane how like sweet and lovely the children are, in, and how good their acting is. How do you teach kids that young how to act? I mean, that that well, I'm sure we will talk about him in a, in a moment. But that young Luke, he yeah. is like. He's got that has to be what that kid is like because yeah you can't as a however old he is like what is he eight less than less than he's like six he's yeah he cannot he can't be creating that character because no. that's just so perfect yeah but um uh just quickly on child actors actually we we didn't mention young Hugh Crane as Henry Thomas from E T what he is the kid in E T. Yes. Wow. That is... No, I did not know that. That has blown my mind. Literally. I'm just picturing him now. How good is that? That is amazing. And E.T., obviously a classic. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. I'm sure everyone has seen E.T. It is amazing. Yeah, so he's he's Elliot from E.T. And I I don't think he's done that much since E.T. But he did... He was in um, Ouija, the the Mike Flanagan movie that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Yeah, so he was in that, which I think got him a gig on this. Let's talk about Theodora. She is a very, very complicated character, like super complicated character, especially even as a kid and as her adult version. And the glove thing started off very bizarre to me. But obviously, it makes so much more sense when you get into about episode three, I think it is. And you start seeing that all of these Crane children, 
like the Stark children in Game of Thrones, have mm. an affinity for something supernatural, which I found yeah. to be a very, very cool little extra added factor to the show. I loved it. We've spoken about whether in other shows and movies, whether, you know, is it is it supernatural or is there some kind of real world explanation for it? And I think this show asks some of those questions as well, but it's it's further along it's it's leading further into the supernatural answers. And that's all right. Like that's absolutely fine. And um so I, I don't have a problem at all with that. I bought I'd bought into this as a supernatural show um by that point anyway. So to have those um to have that supernatural element that's more explicit, not a problem. I, I'm happy to accept that. And pretty pretty cool talent um for theo there i love it i love it i love the idea that you know in that episode where you where you see that she uncovers that child molester that is you know that's like a little bit of detective work she's like a little detective a really cool detective uh intriguing character i again actually probably preferred the um the younger version of her i thought she was a yeah great actress yeah she was good wasn't she and luke and nell obviously the cute twins they obviously captured, you know, the limelight, especially in the then scenes. But I have to say, I found that the now versions of Luke and Nell were equally as complicated as, you know, as the other characters. And in, especially in Luke's case, you really sympathise with him. And in Nell's case, that episode five, man, with uh, oh. the bent neck lady. Wow. My God. I have to say, um, that is a superb episode of television I, I think that's the best episode of the season I, I really do it was haunting it was depressing it there were moments of sheer joy in that episode as well where you really saw like a grown-up Nell come out of her shell a bit and 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 really sort of express herself when you know when she was getting married and that whole wedding situation was lovely and then you saw her degrade back into the, the sort of troubled traumatized child that she was all those years ago which was heartbreaking yeah um that was that was that was a a great episode of tv that was um definitely my favorite episode um i think that the only the only issue i had with that episode is that um i i called i called it quite early that that was who the bent neck lady was. Yeah. Um. So the the reveal wasn't as kind of as shocking as I think they were hoping it would be. Yeah. Um. But still, like the 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 unraveling of it all, and uh, man, the way that that final, you know, the descending scene. Yeah, that's you know what I mean. Um, it's just so horrifying. It, I and... sort of pegged it that episode as well that it was her, and yeah. I have to say I like the reveal because it, it adds this element of time and this the idea that time doesn't necessarily play any factor when you're dead kind of thing, if you get what I mean, which I found was a fascinating concept. But the fact that she's been haunting herself this whole time was so yeah. brutal as a concept that I found it so affecting, even though I sort of saw it coming completely. Especially when you start when when you see Nell return to the house, and you have this amazing 
sequence where obviously in the now the house is actually you know run down completely dilapidated dilapidated destroyed but she's seeing it completely restored her whole family there reliving her wedding reliving like seeing her mother reliving tea parties and i was like that is it's this is when the show just took the next step for me from being just yeah this is good to this is great and playing with that idea of what is real, what isn't real, you know, is it mental illness, is it supernatural? It was amazing. I loved it. I loved every second of that episode, even though, and I love Nell as a character. I was devastated that she died. Devastated. Yeah, yeah, I was really sad, really sad about that. And, um, you know, often in, like, horror movies and shows, the people that die, they're either dickheads, so it's Mm. like, all right, cool, or... They've done something really stupid, and so you, like it's often you can justify it in your head when you watch it, like who dies and why they've died. There's no like you're just devastated for her, um, in this. Like she hasn't, she's just been totally, totally fucked up by this house and yes, by her own demons, I suppose. But and the um, real demons, and the real demons, and. It's devastating. It is also terrifying. The thought of, imagine that, being alone in that house. Yes. In a dilapidated state. Yeah. Is, at night, that is so scary. And I'm just, I'm glad for her sake that she had this vision of it that was totally different because just, man, imagine like, I don't know, imagine if there's like CCTV camera in there and so somebody got the footage and just saw her kind of walking around dancing Ugh, around weird oh man terrifying. terrifying i hate found footage stuff it's always terrifying but um you know luke and nell great characters nell obviously is a focal point of the show arguably the most central character everything sort of revolves around that event of her death and you know she's the one who sees bent neck lady in the first place and we get introduced to straight off the bat when the show opens but as you said the father character hugh and the mum olivia play very central roles and a character like olivia we don't really get to see what happened with her side of everything until the penultimate episode which i thought was a great episode actually as well because it, it it elaborated on some of these things that we hadn't yet seen but then we saw it from her perspective her slow degeneration into madness this idea of keeping the twins as they are not these mm. horrible visions that she was having of them which were correct absolutely correct yeah. of Nell being dead and also Luke for a time being dead which was very unsettling. So that was interesting. She was having visions of the future that were affecting her decision-making and then the creepy, you know, house trying to, and the characters within the house, the the Hill family, trying to orchestrate her to killing these children, which was, you know, very disturbing. Yeah, well, she was, like, whilst I guess the rest of us um, are thinking oh my god, get out of this house, it's terrifying, there's ghosts and monsters and whatever. She's thinking, out there there's ghosts and monsters and whatever exactly. that are going to hurt my kids. So, yeah, I mean, oh god, I've got to say, like, 
Carla, I don't know how to pronounce her surname, Gugino, or, yeah. um, who plays her and also obviously starring role in, in Gerald's in Game. In Gerald's Game, yes. She is, I, I think she's so beautiful. Like, She's I, a beautiful woman, um, Gareth, you can say it, don't be scared. I'm just, like, I'm blown away, like, I'm in love with her. Um, Are you in love with uh, her when she's crazy wanting to use rat poison to k- kill children, Gareth? Because I don't think that's... You know, especially then. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's what really gets you yeah, gets you going. Oh, yeah, don't. Um, no, but her eyes, man. Just... She's a beautiful woman, and she, I thought she was great in this as well. She She plays this kind of ethereal, sort of, you know, aloof mother who obviously cares about like philosophy and educating her children correctly. But at the same time, you can tell she's plagued by this this curse that she seems to have or something, this power that she has as well. And it was interesting to see her character completely, you know, go into madness, literally go into madness, taken over by the house to the point where she's quite scary at the end. Like, like mm. when you see her with her hobbling around, chasing them down the hallways and stuff, pretty scary stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she, um, she, it's done really well because you, you've got to think they keep kind of showing the end point where she's totally lost it, but still the, the descent into madness is kind of progressive throughout and, um, they kind of reveal it in stages, I guess. And so it, it, it works really well like and you even though it's the episodic nature of it means that we're kind of jumping around timelines we still get this sense of a progression of madness throughout the series um which is really really cleverly done i think um i was actually i have to say i was a little bit disappointed at you know the 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 penultimate episode was it the penultimate episode where we actually saw um from her perspective, what was happening on that night. Yeah. Um, because the reason why is when, um, in, in episode one, when Hugh comes in and grabs Stephen, um, Steve. Yeah. And he's like, right. Um, he's obviously terrified by what's happening. And he's like, close your eyes, just don't look. And he waits for the door handle to not be turned. And then, so we're obviously thinking, all right, this is ghost. This is some sort of ghost. And he opens the door and runs and it's terrifying. And then just in the background, out of focus, you see this kind of figure kind of moving. Shirking around, yeah. Yeah. And like they get into the car and all the kids are screaming. And they're like, what about mummy? What about? And he's like, that wasn't mummy. And then they off they go. I was, that gave me absolute chills at the time. I was like, what was that? Like, yeah. That was terrifying. Was it some sort of like sort of ghost trying to look like their mum or yeah, yeah. whatever it was? Possession, and then, something like that going yeah. on. It was it was very unsettling, and and, and that's it was very unsettling. And and I know what you mean that the payoff isn't as as scary as you think, but I kind of like the way it's just her, you know, trying to lure these kids to a tea party. At that point, it's just it's just her going, oh no, I've kick the wall that hurt um yeah. hey guys where are you going can i come with please and that's what's happening and it's like it was just your mum it's just your mum i know i know i know you're saying it, it's it's that's not mummy as in like you know she's not herself which is fine but i mean it is your mum isn't it that was mummy 
Yeah. Let's go get her. So as the season progresses, though, Gareth, and we get to the, the point of, you know, finding out what happened on that fateful night and the death of Nell, you know, bringing the family back together, the whole family converged once again at Hill House. And I think it'll be important to talk about the show's ending, which is actually a very heartfelt message of reconciliation and family. And as I said before, the show kind of tricks you into these horror tropes throughout the whole thing, the way that they use jump scares, the way they use slow camera moves, the way that they, you know, really build up tension. But once the journey is over, you realise just how sentimental the whole season really has been. I personally love that. I know that's not the direction you were hoping for necessarily. Um, But... The last episode was, you know, a family drama episode with full of fantasies and, you know, nightmares and all of that kind of thing, really bringing them all together, which I thought was extremely powerful. Yeah, I mean, I've always have a bit of an issue with, um, you know, a show where you get glimpses of ghosts and it's like they're ethereal and mysterious and enigmatic and it's and it's really creepy but then you just have the ghost standing around talking and it's like they're just wearing sort of dusty clothes and going oh look I'm a ghost now but um you know I'll still still remember you don't worry yeah just um Casper, go and look after each other and that the friendly ghost sort sort of Casper-esque and I <sighs> It sort of undid some of the work for me. Uh, I, yeah, you know, I don't think I don't think we needed another monologue. This was this was an issue for me throughout the show, with a number of monologues from pretty pretty average act, actors. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's be honest. Um, and to have to have Nell just standing around, being like, "Oh yeah, I was really sad, but I'm I'm all right now." Just yeah. make sure that you're not sad in the future. And giving giving a message it was just a bit on the nose and it it stopped it from being scary at all and turned it into a just a pure family drama where they're grieving. And you know, that's 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 all right, but um when you start off as terrifying as some of the moments um in this show are in the first six episodes I think I think you need to end with something that's also scary and it wasn't scary at all the last the last 30 minutes well I have an alternate take on the ending here Gareth that I think you might enjoy because I thought it'd be a good time to talk about the central room in Hill House the red room so red room. the reveal that this mysterious red room that we are shown in the first episode we we talked about throughout the whole 10 episode run of the show we are told about the red room no one can get into the red room the the master key doesn't work and we're like what the fuck is in this red room and we and we know that's where the tea party Mm. is held and the interesting thing that they went with is in fact that everyone's own private space or imagination in the house or their dreamlike place is the red room which i thought was a superb reveal i absolutely loved it however Here is something that will rock your interpretation of the happy ending of the series. Okay, go on. (gasps) Did they ever really leave 
Hill House? Or are they all still there? So I'm going to run down the different locations that were the Red Room, okay, for each individual character. So in every interpretation of the Red Room, there is a red object in the room, okay? So you know it's the Red Room. So in Olivia's version, she has a reading room, and in there, her chair is red. In Nell's playroom, there's a red suitcase. In Steve's game room, he has a red beanbag. Shirley has the family room and there's a red blanket. In Luke's treehouse, there's a red truck. Uh, the only one that's tricky is Theo's room, her dance studio, because we never get the same angle as the other ones. But in her fantasy, when she's in the red room, the girl that she gets with, uh, the Asian girl, is wearing red lingerie. Shirley also wears a red top in her red room fantasy and Steve wears a red cardigan in that nightmarish fantasy he has about Lee being pregnant at the start of the finale. So in all of these interpretations of the red room, someone or something is red, okay? The final or one of the final shots of the show is all of them together gathered around Luke as he celebrates being two years sober. However, centre of the frame, the cake is red. Are they still in the red room, Gareth? They really could be. They really could be. That's better. I like that. How's that rocked your world? Um, Has that changed it from a four to a five, Gareth, if that theory is correct? I'm still sticking with my four, but... um, but that's a good theory. That does that adds that adds a layer of um, complexity. That, that it, adds that complexity. It adds that mystery and that that um, creepiness to it. That I think the final episode was lacking. Yes. So thanks, thanks, mate. It's Cheers a very for... subtle thing, but it's been proven on Reddit and everything that these red objects are consistent, and it's a very interesting directorial choice by Mike Flanagan to have that cake be red and be central in the frame, in my opinion. I think he's trying to say more there than he's letting on. And I think it's a very Mm. dark and sinister ending to the series. However, in some ways, it's more affecting, which which I really liked. So I'm taking that as my interpretation now, but it doesn't change the amazing emotion I had with them all being reconciled with each other. I don't think you lose that at all in any way, shape or form anyway, because even if they are living out this fantasy in Hill House and they are actually all dead, they're still reconciled as a family, which I like. They're all, they're all dead together. Exactly. And and that still is, is a lovely thought that they're all together and they're all happy with each other. What I thought would be great to finish on, though, is to discuss if you've rewatched the entire season yet, Gareth. I haven't rewatched the entire season, but what I have done is I've gone back and I've rewatched all these videos that are around of yeah. all the um all the spooky ghosts in the background. Oh, the spooky ghosts! Yeah, I love it. Missed. So yes, I could not believe, and I genuinely couldn't believe how many of these ghosts I'd missed first time round. There are yeah. dozens. <clears throat> hiding in so many shots in the background that are so obvious when you look at them it is insane i implore anyone who hasn't like seen any of these videos go check them out on youtube or just go back and rewatch the set the the, the first season and just look very closely to the whole frame you know when there's any lingering shots and you'll see 
you know, how many ghosts are, are in there is insane. Do you know how many there are, Gareth? Um, Apart I am from the, have don't count, don't count bent neck lady and you know bald creepy hat guy who is terrifying by the way, and you know the ones that are obvious like the guy with the, 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 the who's fixing the clock and all that sort of stuff. How many do you think there are hidden in other scenes? Uh, I mean, just just quickly, yeah, a shout out for um, for tall floaty hat man. Jesus. Jesus Christ. He's terrifying. He is he, terrifying. Right, other than, than him and Bent Neck Lady, um, I'm going to say, I'm going to have a crack at maybe an average of like 10 per episode. So I'm going to say 100. Wow, that's guess. a lot. It's actually only 30, Gareth. 30 other appearances well, disappointing. across the Rubbish. episodes. So you're looking at about four an episode that people aren't picking up on, all right? But in some episodes, mm. like episode, I think it's three and four, there's like 10. Or something stupid. So they're quite well spread out. But um, I was blown away. For anyone who is listening to this and has only watched it through once, if you really love the show, go back, have a watch, see if you can pinpoint all those ghosts. Don't even watch the online YouTube videos if you want to have a bit of fun and try and find them yourself. But if you just want to see them all in like five minutes, go check them out on YouTube. It's pretty easy to find. What I love about this, though, is like because they've got that feature of... Um, creepy ghost in the background what they could have done like what could have happened is maybe like jeff the lighting guy kind of accidentally walks past in the background yeah. and they're like ah oh, fuck it just make him a bit blurry yeah and ghost go. another ghost that probably Done. is actually what happened with all of it there's a oh, fucking hell jeff get out of fucking shot again in post-production they're like oh, it's got to blur him again <laughs> <laughs> just always fucking Jeff. He's, I mean, luckily, it, you know, Mike sticks by Jeff. I've heard that Jeff is his right hand man, but, uh, you know, he's got to step up his game. Yeah. How does he keep that job? How does he, he kept that job? Hire us. You know, we'd be good spooky yeah. ghosts. You'd be like a little imp creature. Well, not an imp, but Some it would be like, no, it'd be like sort of, it would be like having the tall floaty man. Next to a regular, average-sized ghost, and that Re- would regular just, man, that would be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, it's so terrifying! It's regular height. <laughs> Mentioned for the soundtrack, you know, we 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 spoke about it a little bit um, off air, but I found the soundtrack disappointing, and I think it's I think it's worth mentioning that because um, I, I haven't seen I haven't seen much talk about it at all, but the the feel of this show and the the um, the cinematography of it was was brilliant. Like the house is beautiful; it, it looks amazing, um, and it, from a visual sense, it's extremely atmospheric. And at times, um, from an audio sense, it's atmospheric as well. But but they reused the same track over and over again, and that track itself was shit for a start. It was annoying. It had this one key change that it, it was sort of like it was this emotional little piano piece of piano music, and it had like emotion on it. It's bubbling it underneath change. us right now, making us seem more dramatic and pensive as we discuss this. And now wait for the key change, and ding, and it goes. It does that, and it goes quirky. It turns it into a quirky piece of music, which really isn't what it should be doing I don't think it needs to keep the emotion high and it turns it into like it. I, do you know what 
charmed. It turns it into a charmed Oh, God, that's harsh burn. I personally, I've watched the season through twice now, and I genuinely love that little piano motif. Now, maybe it's because I've been indoctrinated and I've heard it so much that it's just like second nature. But when I'm thinking about things now, sometimes I hear that little piano motif. It's making me think about things more dramatically and I know what you mean about the key change but I do think that the the end episode and I'll play it at the end of this podcast has some a stunning sort of variation of that piano uh, riff that we just mentioned and it is beautiful and very stirring so check out the end of the podcast for that but yes I enjoyed it Gareth I don't think it's the best soundtrack out there obviously maybe that's what took it to a four from a five for you perhaps but uh, I did enjoy it yeah, no, I mean, look, it was it was a great series. I loved it. Um, I'm glad it exists. Yeah, I'm, and, I'm glad uh, it exists. Overall, this is easily one of the best things that Netflix has produced. It's almost up there with something like Stranger Things, obviously Making a Murderer. The new Sabrina series is excellent. Netflix's content is making serious waves in the television industry and the film industry, to be fair. And I know they have the sort of policy of throw a lot of things at the wall and see what sticks. But when stuff sticks and it's on demand like this and you can watch it all instantly, I tell you what, it is something special. So they need to keep sticking to promoting these young directors, promoting people, giving them the budgets to do what they want to do. You know, Stranger Things had a similar story about... These guys, the Duffer brothers, going around, they couldn't get their script made and Netflix gave them that opportunity and look what a phenomenon that has become. So I really implore that they keep doing what they're doing. The content is excellent. Sabrina, the new show, is excellent. Go check that out for a sort of dark take on Sabrina Teenage Witch. It's brilliant. And and this was... I, I hope there is a season two. I really do. I hope there yeah. is a whole new anthology-like setting as well, like a different family maybe or something like that. I think it, it it has to be a different family, doesn't it? I think. But, um, yeah. I mean, Netflix Netflix are absolutely killing it at the moment. Thank you all for listening to this bonus podcast. Let us know your thoughts about The Haunting of Ill House and we'll give it a mention in one of our other podcasts. You can email us at fancriticalpodcast at gmail.com. That is fancriticalpodcast at gmail.com. We are on all of the social medias. Instagram is fan underscore critical. Twitter is at fancriticalpod. And, of course, Facebook, just search fancritical. We'll reply to anyone as soon as we can or as soon as we see your message. Thank you for listening. We've got a lot of good stuff coming up. The mid-season finale of The Walking Dead is next week. We also have a review of Overlord. We also are doing our Stephen King retrospective. And the next thing on that in a week or so's time is The Stand. So, be sure to check out the channels for all of the content in the next few also, weeks. Also, uh, leave us a review. It um, it really means a lot when we see when we see a, a new review. Oh, we love the that. reviews, so, and I love the way yeah, that some but, of the reviews are now, in, you know, using the blueberry scale. Now uh, makes a day. You don't have to give us five blueberries. We do love a five blueberry score, but we will accept fours. John will be raging with anything less than a four, though. So let us know your blueberries, hopefully fours and fives. Uh, and yeah, leave us a review. Thanks. Good good note, Gaz. And thank you for joining me today. You're welcome, mate. Thanks for, thanks for hosting. You did a great job. Thanks, sir. It's my new second profession. And see you guys next week for more fan critical and Castle Rock critical content. Goodbye. Play the very good 
version of the piano song. Yes, doing it now. Mm-hmm. 